Greetings, everyone. I'm Sonia, one of the pastors here at Catalyst, and I will be preaching this morning. I had the opportunity to hear the 2004 Miss America Arizona speak. Her platform um, was on domestic violence. I spoke with her after the conference, and she talked about how she tries to inform Arizona schools that she is willing to speak about domestic violence. She explained that the schools in the well-to-do neighborhoods would constantly tell her that it is not an issue in their school. She was disappointed because she knew it was an issue that goes unnoticed in these upper-class communities based on her personal experience within her family. There's no statistic that breaks down physical abuse by an intimate partner in affluent upper-class communities. The article written by Janine McIntosh, titled Battered and Wealthy Wives, Silent Victims Who Think They're Alone, published November 2000 in the New York Post, explained how upper-class domestic violence is rarely reported and people are conditioned to believe domestic violence is a lower-class issue. McIntosh explains, a recent New York City study revealed that spousal abuse by wealthy, powerful men rarely leads to police intervention. Government figures show that only 8% of reported domestic violence attacks come from people with incomes higher than $75,000. These women don't see themselves reflected in the places we normally see domestic violence portrayed, so when they are abused, they believe that they're the only ones it's happening to says Charlotte Watson, Director of New York's Office for Prevention of Domestic Violence. When we hear about domestic violence, our first impulse is to say, just leave. But it is not that easy. In her article, McIntosh goes on to explain reasons domestic violence is so hard to escape, like the need to keep up appearances, the victim being blamed for their abuse, and how the victim should be a better avoid, better wife to avoid the abuse. Domestic violence is difficult. Many would say that it's a private issue. Also, pe- people have different beliefs about leaving the situation. It becomes more complex when finances, children, pets, and safety become involved. There may be a need to maintain status in the community. You still have to interact with neighbors, friends, family, and acquaintances. If kids are involved, you need to consider their relationship with the abuser, how they will interact with their friends, family, school, and if they participate in other activities. Victims feel alone. Their isolation keeps them from making healing choices. Unfortunately, churches don't often provide spaces where victims' cries can be heard. How can we do better? What does it look like to be a church that creates space for those who are suffering? Today, we'll find that choosing to lament together helps us to slow down and listen to the cries of the most vulnerable among us. With that in mind, let's begin by worshiping together. Feel like black sheep. The one who doesn't fit in. It's not that we feel alienated from the larger culture, but from the church. 
a lot of the folks who are feeling this sense of isolation, of being the weird one, it's not because of weak faith. It's actually the opposite. We're not drifting or backsliding or wandering from our faith. It's actually our faithfulness to Jesus that's making us feel like outsiders to our own faith. The people who claim to represent Jesus don't actually look very much like him. This is the experience of the prophet Jeremiah. He was the prophet who lived through the exiles, a collective trauma based on the Babylonian strategy to distance the people of Israel from their God, land, communities, family, and culture. Sadly, what the people experience is due to their disobedience and rejection to follow God's covenant. The people of Israel knew they were not following the covenant they had with God, and they were going through the religious motions of worship. The people did not love their neighbors the way God loved them, and they ignored major problems occurring in their community. Deeper social issues were continually covered up or overlooked. The people thought it wasn't their problem or responsibility. Idolatry and disobedience to God carried on from one generation to generation. One prophet after another said so. Jeremiah insisted that covenantal faithfulness is connected to community wellness. For Jeremiah, how the people actually lived out their covenant with God matters. He warned again and again that God refused to pretend along with them that they were actually faithful. Jeremiah reveals that the that God's people were living an idolatrous lifestyle. Their story and ours is supposed to be rooted in obedience to the one God, Yahweh. Their idolatry and human rebellion resulted in separation from God. By learning how Jeremiah remained faithful in his day among faithless people, we hope to learn how God is calling us to live as Black Sheep Church in our day too. Today, we're asking a question to all us black sheep have to face sooner or later. What do we do when it all feels like too much? What do we do when it feels like all we can do is grieve? Maybe we've reached a point that God is telling us that our social realities do not bear witness of a loving God. Pastor Ashley explained a few weeks ago of how we may not always believe and live out that we are loved by God. Yeah, we know God loves us, but how do we live out the love of God daily in our life? Maybe we receive that call where we're told to bring to life injustices, but the church we were a part of was like the school administration saying, no. That issue isn't facing our church. Maybe we've also reached a point where you begin to grieve injustice and brokenness that is going on. You were marked the black sheep for speaking up. We see that um, is a sign of idolatry. 
is the cries from the vulnerable in the press. And this is where lament comes in and brings forward the suffering, hardship, and grief. We'll allow for a space of lament so the cries won't be ignored. Sitting in a posture of lament will help us discern how to go forward towards hope in God. Turn with us to Lamentations instead of Jeremiah. We're in Lamentations today to see how God's people sat in brokenness. Lamentations is a collection of five poems written after the exile by someone who remained among the conquered people of Judah. In fact, a lot of scholars are convinced that none other than Jeremiah is the author of these poems. So remember, we're reading words directed to people who spend decades, centuries rejecting God and God's way. People who were warned time and again that God was going to give them what they wanted by withdrawing God's protection and care. I'm sure not everyone was this way. I'm sure there was a few good people, families, maybe some communities. Why should a few bad apples be the basis for judgment of the rest of the community as a whole? The prophet Jeremiah explains that the people of Israel will be judged as a community of people and religious leaders. In Lamentations, first song, the people confess their sin and disgrace. They have wandered, they have multiple transgressions, are unclean, they have gone away from God's word, they are rebellious against God, and lastly, admit that they have become cruel in Lamentations 4. Guilt becomes a responsive feeling of their sin. The Lord is right, Jerusalem says, for I rebelled against him. Listen, people everywhere, look upon my anguish and despair, for my sons and daughters have been taken captive to distant lands. I beg my allies for hell, but they betrayed me. My priests and leaders starved to death in the city, even as they searched for food to save their lives. Lord, see my anguish. My heart is broken and my soul despairs, for I have rebelled against you. In the streets, the sword kills, and at home there is only death. Lamentations 1, verse 18 to 20. The Word of the Lord. It is difficult to admit sin, transgressions, and if you have strayed from God. It's probably more difficult to admit to communal or corporate sin. The social realities do not bear witness to a God who was gracious or loving, their social realities bore witness to what the world offered and brought them to a crisis point. This is why lament is important in our worship. Lament creates a space for us to come together, to confess sin, and ask for God's forgiveness. Lament teaches us how to repent. With that in mind, let us return to worship in the spirit of lament. Communally, God's people were called to be different and worship only Yahweh. Yahweh was the people's hope for unity and restoration of earth. True restoration would reveal a new creation of heaven on earth with God's presence. This is our hope as well. 
We long for unity, renewal, and restoration. Think about the Lord's Prayer, which is a prayer Jesus gave us to teach us to pray. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And do not let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 13. The language of this prayer is plural. Our Father, give us, forgive us, don't let us, rescue us. Jesus continues the tradition of unity and obedience that is necessary to worship God. The unity of the people is the idea of community. The community of the church is also seen as the body of Christ. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. So an injury or an infection can affect the rest of the body. I broke my right femur when I was 19 years old. My right leg was in a cast for a couple of months. I was in the army and physical therapy was limited after the cast was taken off. My right leg still hurt and it was much weaker than my left leg. I began to overcompensate and place most of my weight to my left leg. I ended up fracturing the neck of my left femur. It was an orthopedic surgeon who placed strict limits on my physical activity for me to properly heal and prevent me from having a hip replacement surgery when I was 21 years old. It took over a year for me to heal. It was a difficult time for me because I loved to run and all I could do was walk. I had to relearn how to walk and to distribute my weight evenly on both legs and prevent worsening my injury. I think lamenting is kind of like this. Was it fair to my left leg that my right leg was in a cast? Why couldn't my left leg just go about its business and ignore the right leg's pain? It sounds silly to ask it that way, doesn't it? But how often do we treat sin like that? If some other part of our corporate body sins, we want to imagine it doesn't affect me. That I have no responsibility for that sin. But Paul reminds us that we're all one body. Your sin impacts me and my sin impacts you. That's what it means to be a church. And just like a broken limb, our collective healing takes time. It's not something we can rush. When we rush healing or don't fully heal, we hurt ourselves further and it can affect another part of our body. The body of Christ has many parts. If we don't heal from corporate sin, it will continue to affect the body of Christ, whether I was directly responsible or not. Lamentations has a poetic feature that allows for multiple voices and a blend of emotions and imagery. Lamentations 5 is a communal lament that allows space for the people of Israel to express their traumatic grief because individual life is not separate from community life. 
the people had to take time to heal and unlearn how to walk without injuring their community. The poetic form of lamentations allows the people to engage in their own prayer, leaning on the tradition of lament psalms, but the account of suffering is much longer than what we find in a lament psalm. The people of Israel, God's people, the community are crying out to God. There is much difficulty which they have gone through. What has befallen them, the city is going through turmoil and then it is destroyed. Families are torn apart during this time of exile, deportation, and military occupation. Let us read the poetic lament of the people who have experienced much sorrow. Joy has left our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. The garlands have fallen from our heads. Weep for us because we have sinned. Our hearts are sick and weary. Our eyes grow dim with tears. For Jerusalem is empty and desolate, a place haunted by jackals. But Lord, you remain the same forever. Your throne continues from generation to generation. Why do you continue to forget us? Why have you abandoned us for so long? Restore us, O Lord, and bring us back to you again. Give us back the joys we once had. Or have you utterly rejected us? Are you still angry with us? The hardship, despair, brokenness, and loss the people of Israel speak of is in lamentations, can be used to help others lament their traumatic events, sorrow, and loss. The people are allowed to turn to God in prayer and bring voice to their grief. The only voices you hear are those who grieve and cry out. God does not interrupt or dismiss their suffering. Lamentations allows for the people of Israel to grieve, their voice to cry out, and create space for them to express their suffering. The process of grief is to create marks of a turning point towards healing and hope. The people are able to come to terms with the trauma, grief, and pain. The person who laments has to speak of their pain. No one can speak on their behalf or tell them how to get over their pain. A corporate sin that is often dismissed is what happened to indigenous children, families, and communities at the hands of churches and federal government institutions. More often, you hear from Christians that justify this harmful act. That was an isolated incident. That priest wasn't a real Christian. I didn't commit that sin. Don't blame me or the church I attend. Indians have been killing each other long before white people came here, so what does it matter that some died? I could go on and on with the justifications I have heard. This is one example of how an injustice that wasn't spoken up against snowballed into something more harmful. Boarding schools, assimilation policies, child removal policies, Indian removal policies, all have a long-standing effect from generation to generation. 
What if a community spoke up on behalf of the people instead of taking part and now have a brutal legacy? The injustices and unfaithfulness that the people of Israel committed did not happen overnight. It became a systemic issue. The issues hurting Native American communities today, like the lack of adequate drinking water, lack of nutrition, poor housing, racial segregation, racial prejudice, and so on, did not just happen overnight. How can we ignore the cries of a pre-colonized population of about 15 million Native indigenous inhabitants that have been estimated decline between 4 to 4.5 million at the turn of this 20th century and by the 1900s to reach as low as 237,000. A church that refuses to lament can't hear the suffering of Native people. A church that rushes to make excuses that is quick to say, not me, can't hear those hurt in the name of Jesus. Will we we be a church who hears the voice of the lost, broken, and oppressed? Will our church become a place for God to bring the lived-out hope, healing, renewal, and restoration to those who are crying out? If we want that, we have to be willing to lament. My heart breaks when I hear the voices of those who are crying out and are seeking hope through violence, oppression, and injustice. It's hard to ignore the, that maybe the 14,750,000 voices that cry out from this land. Why are we unwilling to let Christians be accountable to their atrocities if we're led to believe that this country is a Christian nation? Maybe we shouldn't ignore the mass burial grounds that the forefathers of this country have created. The sociological and cultural injustice the people of Israel endured due to the fall of Jerusalem is expressed in the Book of Lamentations. The distance from God is expressed from the people due to the destruction of the temple. Israel is in a state of mourning and cannot rejoice due to the permanence of separation and distance from God because of exile to another country and since there is no temple to praise God. The Book of Lamentations recalls the emotional, physical, psychological trauma and the grief they feel. This leads them to lament and appeal to God. It was 490 years of exile for God's people because they delayed in dealing with what caused their exile in the first place. Let us not wait 490 years for God's love and hope to be present with us here on earth. Jeremiah tells the people of a proposal of what the people of Israel would be like after exile, what the world would be like after exile. What do we imagine the world to be when we live out God's love? As we reflect on Sonia's words to us uh, and her teaching from the Book of Lamentations, I want to invite you into a space of response, a time where we approach the table together and uh, where we do that in an attitude of prayer. Uh, as, as Nathan mentioned at the opening, this is a, this is a topic that, that can be very, very heavy. 
And I think it's appropriate then that we not try to rush past uh, the thoughts and the feelings that the Spirit is engendering in us uh, for the sake of getting back to a place where we feel comfortable, right? Um, if there's any place that we can be attentive to the pain of the world and uh, trust that uh, it's a safe place to do that, it should be in when we are gathered to worship. And so we come to the communion table today, a space that Jesus invites us to where we are reformed as the body of Christ every week by sharing this meal together. Uh, before we come, we're going to participate in a prayer of examine. I'm going to give you some questions uh, that are meant to lead you to reflect in an attitude of prayer on Sonia's sermon. And then uh, after we have done those four questions, I'm going to pray for all of us together and we'll receive communion together. So here is the first question that I want you to consider. When in the last week have I made space to sit with pain before God? And maybe that, again, maybe that's pain that you're experiencing in your own life right now. Or maybe that's pain in the world. Now, how do I avoid or hide from pain, both my own and others? Think about the week that's ahead of us. When in the coming week might I be tempted to avoid pain? Finally, how can I choose to lament this week in a spirit of worship? Where can I make space for that in my week?
Let's pray together. God, you have gathered us today that we might hear this message from Lamentations. That when we ignore or rush past pain, uh, we miss the voices of the most vulnerable, those in whom you have a special interest. We have seen today that because your people refused to lament, they were also deaf to the cries of your prophet calling them to repent. And we, we don't want to make that same mistake. So we confess that we find it difficult to lament, that we, we do not, uh, most of us, enjoy sitting with emotions and experiences and realities that make us uncomfortable. Uh, we don't like not having answers or not having fixes. And so we confess that we tend to avoid these spaces for exactly that reason. We offer that confession to you as we approach your table this morning, and, and we pray that as we receive these elements, uh, that they would be a spiritual food for us, that in receiving this meal together, we might also know your grace more fully, and what we might be transformed yet again as a people who will choose to slow down and to sit with the grieving and to make space in our lives for lament, because that is what you have done for us. We offer these prayers now, and we approach your table in the name of your son, Jesus. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he shared this meal with his disciples, and during that meal, he broke bread. He gave it to them, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it. When the meal was finished, he gave them a cup of wine, and he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and drink it. And so now we too eat and drink, and as we do, we remember Jesus' death until he returns.